We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Often in the daily routine of life, I kind of get lost. Our focus ought to be on the kingdom of God. It ought to be on the king of the kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I often get lost in the daily routine, uh, the humdrum of life. I've said before that the daily routine is the place, it's the crucible where our Christian walk is, is really cultivated. It's the place where more than any other place, what we really are comes out. I get bored sometimes. I get tired sometimes. I get angry sometimes. I get in despair sometimes. In Luke, the first chapter, we read about a man named Zacharias. In verse 5, it says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before, the Lord, before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren and they were both now well stricken in years. And it came to pass while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. The daily routine Zacharias was in. An ordinary day. Just a, a day like any other day. That's a lot of my days. Or days like every other day. Day in and day out. The same thing over and over. In his case, he was a priest. Now let me tell you a little bit about Zacharias. And we're going to talk about not only Zacharias, but two or three or four other groups of people uh, and individuals who were having an ordinary day, just like you and I are having maybe even today. I, I trust today's special because it's the day of the Lord, but still you've got a routine and I have a routine that we engage in on Sunday mornings and, and there's things you've got to do at lunch and after lunch and tonight and get ready for the week. Just an ordinary day. Zacharias was a priest, but his priestly position was not very impressive. Okay, if you go back to First Chronicles, and we're not going to go there, but I'll give you the reference back to First Chronicles chapter 24. You're going to read on down as, as when the priests were being ordered in their service, they were being ranked, if you will, as to who goes first and who goes second and who goes third and and, 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 and who's going to be the high priest and who's going to be the regular priest, then you're going to find that the course of Abia or Abijah, uh, don't, don't let that throw you, by the way. Uh, in the Greek, there is no J, okay? Don't ever feel like there's a problem or a conflict between the New Testament and the Old Testament. They just didn't have J in Greek. So when you read Abia here, that's Abijah in the Hebrew, okay? And that's the same person he's talking about back in 
First Chronicles chapter 24, you're going to find that the course of, of Abiah or Abijah was that he was seventh in order of service. That means he wasn't first, he wasn't last, you know. Uh, now, he's a priest, but just not a very prestigious priest, you know. He's not the high priest, and he's not uh, one who has some real weighty duties. In fact, what they did is they would serve for about a year. I think it was a year that they would serve and then they'd go home because he was of the course of Abijah. He wasn't one that had to devote his whole life like the high priest to the service there. Now, it was certainly a blessing, certainly a blessing to be a priest. It was a blessing to be able to serve in that way, but he wasn't even close to the top of the pecking order. Not a real impressive priestly position, okay? Well, his personal life wasn't really very impressive. If you look at it, he had a barren wife. And in that day, not to be able to have children, that was a big black mark on your name, especially for the woman. But for the family as well, he, he wasn't able to have kids. And, and in fact, as you see in verse 13, as we're going to get to it, he's told at one point his prayer is heard. He's been praying for children. He's been praying to have a child. And now he's old and well stricken in years. That means he's getting past the time when, when you normally would think about having children. Okay? He, he's, he's lived a life that has been fairly routine. He has served the Lord in a very routine way. In fact, we're told that what he's doing here is according to the custom of the priest's office. It was his habit. It was his daily routine. He's got to go in and he's got to burn incense. He'd been praying for a child probably so much, if he's like me, that it became ritual. That it just became, you know, have you ever, have you ever felt like you're praying the Lord's Prayer and you're just chanting, you know? Uh, you know, you just start saying the words and it doesn't really mean something. Sometimes, sometimes I wake myself up in the middle of a prayer. Have you ever done that? That's pretty, not a real fervent prayer, is it? I start praying, Lord, do this. And then I realize I'm asleep. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I must have been praying all night. I fell asleep during the prayer. Sometimes it gets ritual. Sometimes it gets rote. Okay. And the main thing he did have going for him in verse six is he was a righteous man. That doesn't mean righteous in himself. That doesn't mean self-righteous. In fact, he explains for us, the writer explains for us what is meant there. He says, they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. In other words, they were trying to keep the law. And they were doing a pretty good job of it. They were doing what they were supposed to do day in and day out. But he wasn't... Wasn't very invigorating, it doesn't appear to be. You know, I, I can think about David walking, marching down the hillside into the valley of Elah with the nine or ten foot giant coming toward him. I, I bet you the adrenaline was flowing. Now, I know he was filled with the Spirit, but I bet you the adrenaline was flowing. I can kind of remember that when I played football. And we'd get out there and we'd line up for the kickoff. And that first, as the kick, I'd almost get sick at my stomach. I would get so worked up. Boy, I, I knew I was alive, though, at that point. I knew that life was, was all around me because I was 
fired up and I had butterflies in my stomach and the adrenaline was pumping, okay? Hadn't been many days like that in my life. When you look at the whole vast number of days that we've had, same thing with David. I'm sure when he was sitting there plucking on his harp on the hillside of Judea watching those sheep, he wasn't all fired up. It's kind of a routine thing. Now, we know David was faithful in his routine. Apparently, Zacharias was too, but it wasn't a very invigorating task. According to the custom, but it wasn't really, doesn't appear at least to be all that exciting. How many thousand times do you think he'd done this? Or hundreds at least. It was the routine of the day. And I can see him going in it's just another ordinary day in my service as a priest and, and lighting the incense and possibly stifling a, a yawn. Just another ordinary day. A little farther down in the book of Luke, chapter 1, the 26th verse, we read about a young lady. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, let's set aside the angel part for just a minute, but notice that where this occurs is in Nazareth. Not Jerusalem, not Rome, not even Babylon, which had fallen by this time, but not some major city, but Nazareth, a small, politically insignificant place with just a few hundred people that was some distance from Jerusalem. It, it was so insignificant that Nathaniel, later on in the book of John, makes the statement to his brother, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? <laughs> You're telling me he's from Nazareth? <laughs> Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's a sarcastic statement. That'd be like somebody from Alabama saying, can anything good come out of Auburn? Or somebody from Auburn saying, can anything good come out of Tuscaloosa? You know, and believe me, they say that, don't they? <laughs> but the idea here is that there's a lot of disdain. There's a lot of, of, of superiority over Nazareth. Nazareth was not a very significant place. And if you lived in Nazareth, you didn't feel yourself to be very significant. Maybe if you lived in Jerusalem, you could see the priests doing their jobs and you'd get excited every once in a while and say, boy, it's great to be here. I've been in towns before. I've been in cities before that were uh, capital cities. I've been to Washington, D.C. And I just felt, I felt important just being there as a tourist, you know. But you wouldn't feel that way in Nazareth. You know, sometimes I feel that way here. Do you? Zion's not even on the map. <laughs> it's on one or two, but it's not generally on the map. This is where Mary was from. And plus, she was a nobody, okay? She was a nobody. She may have been from the ruling lineage of David, but David's lineage wasn't ruling right now. Rome was in charge. The, the, some years earlier, when 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 Judah had been a little bit independent, they had made a, a deal with Pompey the Great in Julius Caesar's time that Rome would come in and Judah would become a 
a nation state, a, a subservient state to Rome. And that's, that's where we were at this point. And Mary was not even from Jerusalem. She was a little girl, just a little maiden there in Nazareth. And what was she doing today? What was she doing on this day? Well, she was espoused to a man named Joseph. Now, I've been through one wedding so far in my family besides my own. I'm talking about with my kids. And it was, as you know, Meredith. And when she got engaged and, and she knew the wedding was coming, man, there was a flurry of activity. And there wasn't any more focus on, you know, well, what does daddy want? You know, what is, what is, uh, reckon what we need to do here on the day. No, the focus is on what are we going to do uh, to get this, make this wedding just awesome and amazing. You know, now I may be over, overstating it just a little bit, but the focus for most young ladies who are engaged is not, uh, it, it's, it's a time of great activity. It's a time of excitement. So, you have, you have Mary, who is no doubt fretting over her wedding plans. Now, it was a little different back then. Weddings were arranged. She was probably a little, uh, a little uh, had a little trepidation about it. She was probably a little anxious about it. Maybe she was nervous. Maybe she was excited. A little different situation than Zacharias, right? Zacharias probably bored to tears. Mary, on this ordinary day, is... The opposite of that, probably um, at times trembling with excitement. I don't know what she was doing. Was she planning some kind of reception? <laughs> was she sewing her wedding dress, her wedding garments? Was she daydreaming about married life? I don't know what she was doing, but it was for her just an ordinary day. Just, just another day like the one before. In Matthew chapter 1, and we're going a little ahead in chronology here, but in Matthew chapter 1, in verse 18, we read about another individual. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. It's verse 18. When, when as his Mary, mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 19. Then Joseph, being a just man, Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Here we see Joseph. I don't know at what point in this process he found out that his espoused wife was pregnant and not by him. But this was another day for him. It was one of his ordinary days, but his day was a little different. He had received what I would perceive to be some devastating news. His fiancée was unfaithful. Instead of being a virtuous woman, the girl he loved had apparently played the harlot. And she was now with child by someone other than him. We know he didn't know, or at least he didn't believe. I'm sure she told him what had happened, and we're going to get to that in a minute, but I'm sure she told him he didn't believe it because he was getting ready to put her away. He said, you know, I, I can't live with this. I can't abide this. And he had every right under the law to do that. Joseph wasn't a priest. He wasn't apparently a philosopher. 
He wasn't a rabbi. He was a carpenter. He was a carpenter. But we're told he was a just man. That doesn't mean he was without sin, but it means he was trying to do right. He was doing the best he could under the circumstances. And, and we, we learn something here about Joseph as well. He apparently loved his wife or his soon-to-be wife because he didn't want to make her a public example. He didn't want to embarrass her. He, he, wanted to, he, he wanted to take care of this problem this embarrassing situation in a way that caused her the least pain and caused himself the least pain. Can you imagine the problems and the thinking going on in his mind? You know, I have had problems not like this, but I've had major problems come up in my life involving other people. And you know what I would do most of the time? I would stay up all night, couldn't sleep, thinking about it. I don't know how many sleepless nights Joseph spent after he found out this News that was devastating to him. I don't know if he if it had been days or weeks or what, but he was. You know, he was in he was in 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 a troubled state of mind. Was he in despair? Was he sinking down into depression? Was he uh, constantly doing like me and thinking, "Now, how am I going to handle this?" Plotting his next move. Uh, I can talk to so and so, or I can talk to that person. Maybe I better not do that. Maybe I better do this. Uh, what was she thinking? What what is she saying to me? I can't. Can I really believe her? I don't believe I can. Was he weeping bitter tears of rejection and jealousy? Whatever he was, it was just another ordinary day for Joseph. A day that had been up. His life had been upended sometime earlier, but. This was the new normal for Joseph. Over in Luke, the second chapter. In verse 8. Going a little farther ahead in time here. We read about a group of people that we haven't talked about yet. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. We see a group of shepherds here. And in the area of Bethlehem is where they were, and they were just doing their jobs on this particular night. Abiding in the fields, that means they were living out there, keeping watch or guarding the sheep that were in their care. Now, shepherds in that day were not part of the upper echelons of society. They were looked down upon by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious people of the day because they were mostly unclean, dealing with the, uh, the things, the daily routine of keeping the sheep. Somebody had to do it. Somebody had to work there. Somebody had to take care of this, this issue. But you didn't really want to be around those folks. You didn't really want your daughter marrying a shepherd, you know? Say, oh, he's a shepherd? You're going to marry him? Oh, no. He was not well thought of. Okay, they were not, and they were, they were nomadic. They kind of moved around and lived outside, totally different than the folks in the city, the folks in the urban areas. And so they were kind of viewed with suspicion, you know, those nomads out there. Something came up missing from your corral. Oh, I bet one of those shepherds got it. You know, something came up missing out of your garage. I saw some of them shepherds hanging around. Uh, better go check them out, Sheriff. They weren't well off. They weren't paid 
Uh, they, they weren't the highest paid. Uh, in fact, they were on the lower end of the economic scale. And these guys were pulling night duty. They obviously didn't even rank high enough to, to, to be able to go home at night. They had to stay out there and they had to live on the hillside with those smelling sheep, those stupid sheep, those sheep that always needed taken care of. They couldn't take care of themselves. They had to live out there. I tell you what, they weren't going to have to worry about the stock market. You know, they didn't have that kind of worry. They didn't have to worry about the high religious matters of the day. They, they weren't in that group where they were uh, constantly talking about the law and the Torah and the, and the things of the temple. Just out on the hillside, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, just another long, boring night. Just an ordinary day for them. Expanding it out just a little bit, they're right there in a town called Bethlehem. Okay? Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem as a town had seen a lot in its existence. Jacob buried Rachel there. Elimelech dragged his family away from there, and Naomi and Ruth returned there. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, was born there and raised there. He came from Bethlehem. But Bethlehem was a city or a town that was under the shadow of Jerusalem. It was only about six miles, five and a half to six miles from Jerusalem, the capital city. And in one place, Micah describes it as little among the thousands of Judah. Micah says, Bethlehem, you're really not significant. You're very insignificant when it comes to numbers, when it comes to political power, when it comes to influence. There's not a lot going on in Bethlehem. And this night, this night was like any other night. This particular night was a night where they had probably an influx of travelers due to the census that was being taken. People came and went. Business was transacted. Inns filled up. Eating places ran out of food. Just an ordinary day. Except that in each case I've given you, the day ended up quite, quite extraordinary. Quite extraordinary. Because you see, in the boring routine of Zacharias' life, in Luke 1 and verse 11, it says, There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, Zacharias was in the middle of his daily routine. He, he had things on his mind. Maybe he had prayed for that child. Maybe he was upset about something. He was probably just bored out of his gourd. And he's, he's walking over there. Okay, I'm going to burn the incense again. And suddenly, on the side, the right side of the altar of incense, there's something different this day. An angel appears, and of course, Zacharias, like me and you, you think, oh, I'd love to see an angel. You know what you'd probably do if you saw an angel? You'd hit the deck, because <laughs> that's what everybody else did. And, you know, he, he sees an angel. Amid the boring routine of his life, this angel appeared with some extraordinary news. 
Mary, the little girl planning her wedding. You know, Zacharias was bored and doing the routine things of life. Mary was excited, no doubt, getting ready for this, uh, this new life that was coming to her. And in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, it says the angel Gabriel was sent to her. In verse 28, he says the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. In the midst of her excitement and her anxiety and her daydreams, an angel appeared with some extraordinary news. And Joseph, in Matthew chapter 1, as he is wrestling with this problem, as he's dealing with anger and despair and grief and shock and no telling what else, we're told in Matthew 1 and verse 20, while he thought on these things, he was concerned about these things. He was worried about these things. He was filled with anxiety, maybe mad about it. I don't know what his feelings were, but I felt all those feelings myself. While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. He has a dream in this ordinary day. This angel appears with some extraordinary news. The shepherds over there probably about to go to sleep. If they hadn't already gone to sleep, they were abiding in the field. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. And the Bible says it this way, and lo, you know, I think if I saw an angel, I'd say, lo. I'd say, whoa. I don't know what I'd say, but it'd be something. I'd be scared to death. And that's what happened to them. The angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. In the humdrum of their midnight vigil, the angel appeared to them with some extraordinary news. And the people of Bethlehem who felt that they were living in an insignificant place, participating in insignificant activities, not very well thought of and not very, well, uh, not very high on anybody's list. If they had just gone back and read the prophet Micah, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. Yes, we're little. There's not much to us here in Bethlehem. But listen, if you've read this, you say, well, wait a minute. Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. In the midst of their daily routine, the humdrum of being in an insignificant place, there is some good news. There's some extraordinary news that's coming to this place. What is the news? Well, we're going to jump around here, but let me tell you, in Luke 1 and verse 13, the news was this. And the angel said to Zacharias, Fear not, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. It's not going to be just you and your family. There's going to be a lot of folks that are excited to see uh, this boy come on the scene. And after the whole story that we won't go into where he was struck dumb because of his unbelief, and finally his, after the son was born, his lips were loose, he preached one of the greatest messages that was given to him by the angel, it says in verse 68, his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he hath visited and redeemed his people. That's the news. That's the extraordinary news that Zacharias got. 
Mary got some extraordinary news as well. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 28, we said, the angel said, Hail thou that, is, that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Look at verse 31 for lack of time. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. This little maiden, this little virgin, this one who had kept herself pure, this one who was trying to do the will of God, who was excited about this upcoming wedding, had no idea that this ordinary day was about to change with some extraordinary news. Listen to this. She knew she was of the lineage of David. She knew her husband was of the lineage of David. In the normal course of things, if Israel had stayed faithful and still been a nation, her husband could have been king. He was of the lineage of the king. But now there's no chance of that. Now there's no hope for that because Rome is too dominating. But oh, what news she got here. She says that the son she's about to bear is going to be the king. He's going to rule and reign forever. There'll never be anyone else needed to serve as king in Judah. <laughs> What's some extraordinary news in her, in her sweet little way, her faithful little response to this as she's talking to her cousin Elizabeth over in verse 49. <laughs> well, verse 46, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things. And holy is his name. What some glorious news. He that is mighty hath done to me great things. Extraordinary news. Joseph. Joseph who's wrestling with all of these problems, wrestling with his feelings for his, his soon-to-be bride who has clearly been unfaithful in his mind, who's not trusting anything she's told him. In verse 20 of Matthew chapter 1, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to tell you, I believe Joseph got the best news of all right here. Notice what the angel continued to say. And she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What extraordinary news. My little wife that I thought had been unfaithful, that I thought was a virgin, and now I find out she's with child. She must be, uh, instead of a virtuous woman, she must have played the harlot. No, she didn't, Joseph. This is something that's never been seen in the history of the world. This has never been seen uh, by any of the prophets. It was prophesied, but nobody really ever got it for sure. You are going to live out the experience of being the stepfather to the very Christ Himself. Oh, what news. He shall save His people from their sins. <laughs> and the shepherds, oh, those shepherds in Luke chapter 2, just out there on the hillside. And suddenly the angel of the Lord came and, and listen to what they said. The angel said in verse 10 the, unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior 
which is Christ the Lord. (laughs) Oh my, what a glorious statement here. And by the way, this was good news to Bethlehem. This was good news to Bethlehem, not Jerusalem, not Rome, not the king's palace, not the place where you would expect a king to come, but in a lowly stable, a manger. You see, in chapter 2, in verse 1, we read about the story that most people can quote by heart. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Bethlehem, you didn't even have room for him in one of your places and one of your establishments where people could stay. You didn't have room for him. It was just, they were just another traveler. They were just someone else that came along looking for a place to stay. And they said, well, all you can do is go out into the stable. But listen to me. That ordinary night, that ordinary transaction, that little simple daily routine type thing became the most amazing event that's ever happened in the history of this world. There was no room for them in the end. But the stable would hold the most amazing gift that God has ever given this world. The gift of the Savior, which is Christ Jesus the Lord. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This ordinary sleepless night. Many people missed it. Many people slept through it. A lot of people didn't know about it. The herald did not come to the king or to the authorities. It came to some lowly shepherds out on a hillside. (laughs) And the message was the same. In every case, the extraordinary news that came on this ordinary night is that finally, in your lifetime, the Lord is fulfilling His promise and sending His Son to be the Savior of His people. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sin. You notice the the results of all this? We don't have time to go through it, but Zacharias, who didn't really believe initially what the angel was telling him, uh, I I like that transaction, Brother Buddy. He says, how do I know this is going to happen? And Gabriel, Gabriel who came to him said, I am Gabriel. (laughs) You ever ever felt like that? You ever felt like you want to say, hey, you know who I am? (laughs) That's kind of what Gabriel says. You know who I am, boy? I'm Gabriel that stands in the presence of God. <laughs> You're, I'm coming down to you because God told me to, and you don't believe me? All right, big boy. You're going to believe me now. You're not going to say another word until the baby's born. That's what happened. But Zacharias came out a changed man, didn't he? The news made a difference to him. And when the time came, they tried to name that baby something else. They tried to name him Zacharias Jr. or somebody like that. And what they did was he said, his mama said, no, we're going to name him John. So you crazy, John? John wasn't a common name back then. We'd not, you know, nobody in your family's ever been named John. 
And he said, let's talk to the daddy. And he wrote down, his name is John. <laughs> you know why he wrote that? Because he believed at that point. He believed that extraordinary news that his son was going to be the precursor to the Christ himself. His son, John, was going to preach and prepare the way for him, not in the sense of getting people saved. That's not what he's doing. John's job wasn't to save people. Jesus was going to do that. <laughs> he was going to take care of every bit of that, but he was going to tell people about it. He was going to herald their coming, and he, was going to, and he praised God and said, praise God who hath visited and redeemed his people. Jesus hadn't been born yet, but he believed it as if it had already happened because he believed what the angel said. <laughs> Mary Mary rejoiced. Mary questioned, but she didn't question in an unbelieving way. She was just amazed. She couldn't understand. Oh my, how in the world can these things be? And the angel says, here's how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you and that thing which is conceived in you shall be of the Holy Ghost, you see. And then she says, she, she pronounces what's commonly called the Magnificat, which we started to read part of. In Luke chapter 1 there in verse 46, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Oh man, I'm sure she was still excited about the wedding. I'm sure she was still excited. Probably still had a few things to do. But let me tell you something, beloved. Her focus wasn't on the wedding anymore. Her focus wasn't on the daily routine of life anymore. She was magnifying the Lord. You know why? For he that is mighty hath done to me great things. And he goes, she goes on to be the mother who follows her son Jesus all the way to the cross. I don't know what happened to Joseph, but you don't see him anymore. But you see her standing there while her son is crucified. She went all the way. This sweet little, little maiden in an insignificant place. Her whole life was changed by the news that she got. Joseph, oh man, <laughs> You know, I identify probably with Joseph more than anybody else in this set of characters that we talked about. Because I have ups and downs in my life, you know. I get down and out. I do. I get to worrying about all kinds of things. I worry about you. I worry about the church. I worry about my family. I, I get concerned. I hear about things that people are doing that, that they shouldn't be doing, and it gets to me. And I get, I'll wake up at three in the morning and I'll lay there at 5.30 or six just praying and wrestling with it. Sometimes not even praying, just, just, just morose in the, in, the, in the throes of just dealing with all this worry and anxiety. I get, I get Joseph. I get Joseph. He's, he's got problems, okay? You know what we never read about again about Joseph? We never again read about him worrying about Mary. We never again read about him questioning what's going on. All we read about is that Joseph begins to do what God tells him to do. The angel came, and I believe it was Gabriel. I believe it's the same angel. Appeared to him in a dream and said, Hey, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to save his people from their sins. And from that point forward, he would get a little information from God and say, Hey, you better get up and go to Egypt. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that's a big deal. If I had to, even, if I had to pick up and even move to reform, that'd be a big deal, okay? He had to go 600, 700 miles to Egypt, fleeing in the night. He did it, no problem. We find him being a family man. He's always there protecting that child. He's always there uh, trying to be the example for that child. He's, he's handling now the raising up of God himself. Isn't that not something? The child that is his stepchild is the very God who created him. Oh, wow. We don't ever see again where Joseph was wrestling with those kind of problems. It changed his life. Those shepherds, oh man, those shepherds' lives were sure, certainly changed. They said, you go down, the angel told them that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He said, now you're going to find him not in the palace, but in the manger, not in a crib, but in a stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes. You know what a manger is. It's a feed trough. It's a feed trough. The God of glory, the Savior, which is Christ the Lord, you're going to find him in Bethlehem, in a stable, in a manger. You know what they did? <laughs> they said, let us even... <laughs> They looked around at each other when the angels were gone. Verse 15, I, I can just see them. Did you see what I see? You saw what I saw? <laughs> Low, yeah, boy, wow. Let us go. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they sort of meandered on them. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. They came with haste. <laughs> they ran and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And you know what they did after that? Back to our job. No, 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 no. It says, when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Now, all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They didn't care what people thought. Some people questioned, some people laughed, some people scoffed. Most people wondered. They knew the truth, they knew what God had done for them, they knew what they had heard. And they knew that this extraordinary news that came on this ordinary night was the most significant thing in their lives now. From the bored, the excited, the downcast, the lowly, this news changed their outlook and caused them to take action. Shouldn't it do the same for us today? Shouldn't we be the same? Because you know, the news is still the same. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And for us, who know the rest of the story, it even gets better. We know that that child didn't stay a child. That child grew to be a man. And that man was fully God and fully man. And he died on the cross and he did exactly what Gabriel told Joseph he would do. He saved his people from their sins. And now, we've got an even better promise. See, the promise of his first coming didn't have anything to do with fixing everything that was wrong here. It had everything to do with fixing everything that was wrong in heaven as far as our relationship to God. But it wasn't going to change the curse of sin on this world. It wasn't going to take away the sickness and the pain and the death. It wasn't going to take away the problems of life. It was just going to give us 
the assurance that we had now been saved by the grace of God. And because we've been saved by the grace of God, we have God's help and assistance in going with us through the problems of life, through the tr troubles and the trials of life, through the death that comes unexpected, through the death that comes after suffering, through the problems with families, through the problems in churches, through the problems in society, through the sin curse that doth so easily beset you and I. He said, I'm coming back. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. You know, today... It's really just another ordinary day, isn't it? I mean, it's a great day to be with, but church is about to end. We've got to go home. We've got to do other things. I've got to plan for stuff tomorrow. Day in and day out. Today is an ordinary day in many respects. Are you angry, sad, anxious, worried, tired, depressed? All these people were experiencing a variety of those emotions. But something happened on those days, on the day that we're dealing with with them, that changed everything. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, we read about the greatest promise that we have, that we could cling to. He says, For the Lord Himself, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort ye one another with these words. Did you know that one day on your ordinary everyday life, your ordinary day will become extraordinary because it's going to become the day of eternity. It's going to be the day when the Lord comes back. I don't know what you're experiencing today. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know whether you're happy or sad or angry or worried or depressed or upset or whatever it may be, but I promise you one thing. There will come a day, if the Lord doesn't, Terry, if He comes back before you die, there will come a day when you will experience the greatest thing that you've ever known in this world, which is the Lord coming back. That trump will sound. The archangel will shout. And all the ordinary things of life will be done. Behold, old things are passed away. All things will become new. Let's live our ordinary days remembering the extraordinary news that Jesus saved his people from their sin and that one day he's coming back to get us. And I think that'll help us feel just a little bit more extraordinary on those days when we're struggling. The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.